Is it really truly possible to find gratitude in death? Clawing through some of the answers to that one. Next, in this episode of the Gratitude Journal Podcast. This is the Gratitude Journal Podcast. Greetings from Brown Lawn Central, Brown Lawn, USA, where rain is scarce, sun is plentiful, storms sometimes pop up, and they can be violent, and we're just wading our way through the muck, just like everybody else. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of this, the Gratitude Journal podcast. Matthew is my name. And uh, it is a steamy day here in our part of the world, here in Northeast Ohio, otherwise known as those dog days of summer. And that's exactly what they are. But actually, before today, which is fairly steamy, we've had a couple of really nice days, almost like a little bit of a fall day. And I have a sort of unofficial barometer that lets me know that we're kind of going down the hump towards Labor Day. I mean, yeah, I could look at a calendar and get that information, but there's always seems to be one tree on my walk that releases some colored leaves around this time of the year. And I only notice them after they've fallen onto the ground, little specks, maybe like four, five, six of these leaves that kind of fall off this same tree and they bounce into the devil strip, they dance around a little bit, and then they lay there waiting to be seen. And on my walk, I will sometimes look at those leaves, and when I see those vibrant colors, I think to myself, it's way too early, but all, all they're saying to us is, you better enjoy it while you can, because time is a-wasted. And as anyone can tell you in the year 2020, there hasn't been a ton to enjoy. We've had to try to find little chasms of light in an otherwise bleak 2020. It's not to say that everybody hasn't had more ups than downs this year, but come on, let's face it. We're perilously close to one of the worst years ever on record from all kinds of standpoints financial, spiritual, material, everything, economical. And it's almost to the point, too, where the joy of my life at this time of the year, a.k.a. baseball, is sometimes has a little less meaning. And really, over the past week or more, it's had even less meaning for me. But there's almost a point where I said to Donna when we were driving around doing some shopping the other day, you know, I love baseball, but there's just something about it this year. It's, it seems otherworldly, like it's being played behind a veil, like it's being played on another galaxy, and I'm watching it in some weird time-space dimension. And really more hearing it in some weird time-space dimension. Because we downsized our cable, so we rarely watch the games anymore. And we do the majority of 
listening out on the back deck when it comes time to listen to the ball game. But there's just, there's a connection to the game this particular year that seems fairly distant. We've been marching around in death's afterglow because of our granddaughter's horrific passing. And we both kind of admit that this week has seemed otherworldly, that we're trying to measure what this death means and what death means. And of course, the Zen Buddhists would say, you know, that death is really, uh, you know, merely a byproduct of life. Uh, this is a, a stage that that we all have to face it, whether we do so with gusto or we do so with abject fear. It's going to occur and we can do nothing to stop it. And it doesn't really take away from the fact that however you prepare yourself for something, you can never truly understand the ramifications of it until it happens. There's really no way to prepare for it. You think you can, but you just don't. And this is really the tragedy, I think, is that we try to find a place to deal with the loss part, knowing that this loss part will change and be altered and will have new meanings and will have varied meanings and we will try to make it fit a kind of a narrative as to how we understand it. And then once we think we understand it, then it's patently obvious that we don't. And this is the process. This is the grief process. And none of us are really very good at it. And we really don't want to be good at it. Because in the end, we're doing everything that we can to preserve this life, or at least most of us are. We're doing everything we can to preserve it. We're doing everything we can to further it. We're doing everything we can to not have it end. And I think it's just really gotten to both of us in different ways. For me, there's just been a lot of anger this week. I have to admit that I sort of took it out on Donna. And you know that they say we take our anger out on those who are close to, closest to us. And it was over something dumb. It usually is. It's, it's, it can be something as dumb as a pen. <laughs> and that's basically what it was about. I have a calendar up on the 
the, for want of a better word, the bar that separates our kitchen that looks into our living room. And, and it's really her calendar, but I've set it up for her so that she can keep track of her things that she does. And I have this pen that's sitting on the calendar. And it's just a pen that I like using. It's a pen that I like writing with. I bought several of them. And it's just, I prefer, in my advancing age, I prefer to have things in their place. I prefer to have things where I know where they're at. And uh, when those strategies get upended and I don't see my pen there, well, then that makes me upset. (laughs) And normally I wouldn't yell and scream at the top of my lungs, but it, it had just been a situation where grief, exhaustion, trying to maintain, trying to understand had gotten sort of the best of me. And I didn't see that pen there and I needed to write something down with that pen. And I, you know, was very upset. And I said, where is this pen? Why isn't this pen where I always keep this pen? Why can't we just keep this pen here? And I ranted and raved and threw my arms around in the air and, and went over to another place where we have some pens in a drawer and I found the pen. And so I knew I didn't put the pen in there. So I came back and put the pen on the calendar and said, I don't want this pen to be moved. This is the pen. I just went on and on. It was really ugly. And thankfully, nobody was filming it. And hopefully it's not going to show up on YouTube somewhere. And the look in my wife's eyes was priceless, tragic, a little bit comical, a little bit sad, very surprising. And she didn't say a word. She said absolutely nothing to me. She just walked away. And so I apologized to her several times over the pen incident. But I felt bad even when I went to bed last night and I woke up as I usually do because I'm old and my prostate doesn't really know my time and sleeping schedule. And I felt bad then. I kind of struggled to get back to sleep and and I felt bad when I woke up and it just made me, the whole thing made me feel bad. And so we just sort of hugged it out today. And I think for both of us, the whole week has just been a whirlwind of gunk that we're only just beginning to understand the process and and kind of where we are in the process. Can we find gratitude in death? Is there anything within the construct of death and the mourning process and the grieving process where we can find a sense of gratitude. And and really at this point in the process, the thing that I've been kind of dwelling on is not so much the, the sometimes kind of trite phraseology that says, yes, death makes us appreciate what we have. And while that's true, I I don't doubt the validity of that statement. 
But it's always seemed a bit trite. Because really all we do is we just want the loved one back. That's all we want. We just want one more day, one more hour, one more week, one more incident, one more event, one more hug. That's all we really want. We don't really care about the level of appreciation for our life at the time. We just want that person back. And so, yes, maybe later on in the process, we can fully appreciate what this is supposed to mean. But at the time, it, it, se- it does seem a bit bubblegumish. But I will say that just sitting around this week outside trying to listen to the ball game and really not hearing it and staring at the trees in the backyard waving in the wind ever so gently as the sun is setting and we had several just really magnanimous days this week and in between this gentle pastoral scene I just kept thinking about that room where Mally was lying and and just watching her do everything she could do with her own fortitude and with the aura of those around her and yes to a certain extent with the help of medication but really all of those things combined to help her to try to cling to this life, to fight for this life. Because this is what we're designed to do. We're designed to try to do everything we can do to fight for one more breath. And and it's what makes me strangely grateful when I think about standing in the background and just watching her and making me realize the the breadth and the beauty of of strength and the tragic aura that surrounded this young girl and watching her do everything she could possibly do to give all of her family the benefit of her life for one more minute and then doing it for one more minute and then doing it for one more minute. And it makes some marathon runners seem like an imbecile compared to the strength and endurance that this girl exhibited. And I almost can't get that image out of my head. Just watching her endure and watching her fight through the pain. The pain is just, it was ungodly. And I was staring at these trees and watching them nudge against each other as they've done for countless years 
during my lifetime and probably way before my lifetime and will be around long after my lifetime. And in that split second, I just thought to myself, you know, these are one of the little moments that we, f- we fight for amongst all the other things. You know, having children of our own and marriage and good times and going on vacation and having a great job and then all the bad things that are a part of this world, part of this life, that we do everything we can do to hold on to this. Watching those trees bounce against, those leaves bounce against each other in that very kind of calming, relaxing pastoral scene and just thinking, this is just such a beautiful moment here at 727 on a Tuesday evening, is that we live for these moments. These are the moments we live for. This is the moments we fight for. This is what she was fighting for. That moment and every, all these other moments, all the other moments that she will no longer have the chance to fight for. And that, that is really the tragic part of death. And in a strange way, makes you grateful for those moments, maybe in a new way or a way that you may not have seen before. My wife and I have a sort of a standing joke between each other that a a friend of Donna's, her brother's wife, Myrna, saved my life. And Donna says, no, she did. And you would have been fine. And, and I always remind her that, you know, we were on this years ago, we were on this canoe trip. I don't canoe and I don't do water. And I've never been a fan of water. I've always been sort of afraid of water. And so I was talked into going on this stupid, ridiculous canoe trip. And we were in this canoe, and the canoe, I mean, it couldn't have been in more than two feet of water, three feet of water. I mean, it was just, you know, it was very, to, you know, to most people, it was shallow. But for some reason, they were playing around, and the canoe tipped over, and I went into the water. Well, I went into the water, and it doesn't matter. It could be one inch, or it could be 1,000 feet. It doesn't matter. But to me, I just went into panic mode. And so Myrna was in another canoe and she sort of, I don't want to say she dove out of the canoe because she probably would have cracked her head on the rocks, but, you know, she left her canoe and kind of came over and kind of pulled me up out of the water. And, you know, I was choking, gagging. And so the joke was that, you know, Myrna saved my life. Well, in the, really in my head, she kind of did save my life, really, because who knows? I mean, it, it takes very little bit of water for somebody to drown. And to me, I've always looked at her in in subsequent years as the person who I'm kind of glad she was there. And it reminded me when I was kind of flailing about and really, you know, arms and legs moving in all different directions, trying to find a way to turn my body up right side up so that I could have some semblance of where I was amongst the gurgling noises of water rushing in and all orifices (laughs) that 
this is this is what we're meant to do. We're designed to do this. We're designed to stay alive. We're designed to fight this. I was on my motorcycle one day and I was taking it to Oh, I was taking it to a shop to have something fixed on it and I was riding in the right lane of a four-lane road and I was coming up on a on a light and I was going relatively maybe a couple miles past the speed limit but next to me was a cop and as we were both were approaching the light the light turned from green to yellow well I was in that weird area where I wasn't really sure whether I should go through the light or whether I should come to a rapid stop. And because there was a policeman next to me, I thought it better <laughs> to not blow through the light, the chance of it being red when I went underneath. And so I applied my front brake. Well, I applied too much front brake. And so my bike started to skid and it was making this irritating noise as it was skidding. Like the kind of noise you hear when you're thinking to yourself, when the squealing stops, there's going to be some crash of some sort, okay? And that's what I knew in my head. And all I could think to myself was, I want to survive this crash that is going to happen. And this couldn't have taken more than three to four seconds to occur, but the mental processes in my brain made it seem like it was being stretched out into like a half an hour. Was I at the proper position in my seat? Was I leaned in the right direction? If I let release the front brake and apply more rear brake. Is my rear wheel going to skid to the left or to the right? And what was I taught? I was going through my textbooks in my head. What was I taught to do? Now, should I just let go of everything and just let the bike kind of right itself? Or am I going to flip on the high side? And if I flip on the high side, is the bike going to go next to the police cruiser or is it going to go underneath me I couldn't kind of remember and if I fall am I going to fall on my side or am I going to fall on my neck and uh, you know, I was fully geared up and I had a helmet on and I believe in being you know having all the gear all the time so but I knew that I was going to crash and so you know what was going to transpire and how what, what would I do to save myself And I don't know what law of physics all of a sudden came into play. But the bike righted itself. It, it righted itself. It stopped squealing. And it came to rest almost underneath the red light. It was a shock to my system. I had prepared myself for imminent danger. I had prepared myself for my imminent demise. And something happened from a 
either spiritual, theological, or or physics-related context that prevented me from perishing. And I said to myself later on, my mental process was to do everything I could do to save myself. And the funny thing is, is that policeman made a left-hand turn at that light and went right through the red light. Didn't turn his head of the, the squealing, at least that I know of. Didn't stop. Didn't look. Went up to the red light and went right through the red light and completely broke the law. So when I think of this life that we've been given, I think the gratitude that we have for it, the gratitude that we try to understand as it emerges in all of the different phases that we've been given, is that I think we're in some ways constantly trying to take stock of where we are in it. We measure ourselves in it. We measure others in it. And we use these measurements, these barometers, to determine how successful our life is. And the barometers can be measured from a financial standpoint. The barometers can be measured from a prestige standpoint. Those, those are for certain. And many people use those as barometers. But obviously, those are not the real barometers. And I think the people around us are the ones who challenge us to take stock of where we're at and what we do with this life that we've been given. And I think Mally challenges us to do that. I think that she says to us in the living that by her dying, our loved ones die, they challenge us to be infinitely better people. Finding a way to make our surroundings better. Because this is the kinds of things that she would have fought for. I mean, memorials are, are fine. I think that they're great ways and they're comforting ways and soothing ways to honor the people that we love. But I think that if it were Mally and if it were my cousin Champ and my uncle Bugs, I, I think that they would be challenging us to do more than that. I think that they would be challenging us to just take their examples and run with it. Take their examples and to be better people, to make things around you better. I don't mean like a slogan 
during a convention. I don't mean an obligatory sentiment from the pulpit at Sunday Mass or Sunday Liturgy or Sunday Service. I mean, it can be the little things like the leaves bumping together in the tops of the trees. It can be saying something nice to someone who looks like they might need a a word spoken to them. Or the guy whose plywood all came out of the back of his truck going up a hill. And Donna said, we need to stop and help this person. And so we did. And there are people behind us beeping their horn. You know, they couldn't get through. They couldn't get through. And we got out and helped him. We put it back in. What do you want? I don't want anything. And it's weird because I was thinking of Mally a bit. I was thinking of her. And I was thinking of my Uncle Bugs. And I was thinking of them. Like this is what they want us to do. Challenging us to be better. Better people. Do something out of the ordinary. Because they would do things out of the ordinary. Father Leonard J. Fick who was my mentor in the seminary who gave our graduation speech. Could have had anybody come to our school and give a speech. We chose Father Fick. And he said, you know, that story of the Good Samaritan, it's not just a story. It's a challenge to us. It's a challenge for you to take a chance. And he said to us, you see somebody on the side of the road, take a chance. Sure, it's dangerous. Take a chance. And I think that's the best way that we honor the people who we love and who we've lost. Is to find ways to use their memory and their spirit to be better people. To move into the next level so that you can measure your life not by how much you have in retirement or investments or you know how many play toys you have who has the most toys wins but the best way to measure your life I thought of Mally the other day I was at the store and it was just, I'd had my little blow up over the pen and I was just feeling pretty crappy trying to find reason in all of this, trying to find reason in so much death this year, so much catastrophe, so much angst. And I was waiting on my little circle you know, six feet distance circle, my mask on. And there was a woman in front of me with a little girl. She didn't have a mask on. And she was holding on to her mom's wrist while they were waiting for their place in the self-checkout. And she was twirling about, getting a little restless, 
looking up at the ceiling, going around in a circle, kind of making faces, humming to herself. Her mom was casually looking off in the distance, kind of mumbling, looking at her phone, going whatever her name was. Calm down, calm down, we'll be there in a minute. And she stopped and she kind of looked at me with my mask on and she just gave me this gentle little smile. And right about then my world just kind of stopped. Just briefly, millisecond. And then it was her mom's turn and then they went, left their circle and went to the self-service checkout place and I took their circle and in that moment of switching circles I just I felt all of their spirits this week just in that moment Mally's and all the people that have just met an untimely end and it just made me want to be better I hope I can be better For her. I hope you're being safe and I hope you're being healthy. We had a very good friend of Donna's. I guess a good friend of ours. Yeah. But uh, a good artist friend of Donna's uh, whose uh, husband uh, is a musician and has come down with COVID-19 is very seriously ill. So it's really one of the first persons that we've known that has actually been in ICU and has been on a ventilator. And it's really struggling. And so, again, I would just say this really doesn't have anything to do with politics. But, you know, just wear the mask, you know? I don't know what else there is to say. If we all wore a mask, then I think that we would do away with this. I believe in it pretty strongly, to be honest. So hopefully you're safe and you are healthy if you're listening to this wherever you are. We've had a couple of new people uh, subscribing uh, in western Kentucky and uh, somewhere out west. I know it's a city in Utah. I'm not sure. I'll have to look it up. I, I don't know where it is. But little by little, people are adopting their own gratitude journals and finding ways to be grateful for Yes, the big things. Big things are great to be grateful for, but the small things as well. And until then, we'll see you next time on the next episode of the Gratitude Journal podcast. <laughs>